You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. everyone what an absolute pleasure it is to be chatting to you on catalyst live this morning uh, i hope it's uh, sunny and fun wherever you are but who knows you've got people coming in from all over the world this morning why don't you hit us up in the comments and tell us uh, what is the weather like outside your window wherever you are today um Today, I have the fun job of uh, picking up where Jude left off last week, where obviously we're starting a new series in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and we're calling it Future Focused. Uh, and I have the joy of doing the first three verses of chapter one today. Um, but I just wanted to take a wee moment just to explain a wee bit about the book of Thessalonians. You may be tuning in this morning and be like, oh, Thessalonians, I've read that many times and I'm a world-renowned expert in it. Or you may be tuning in this morning and thinking, I can't even spell Thessalonians. Hello, that's me. Welcome to the camp. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to uh, give a wee update on what is this book? Why is it written? Who are we? Uh, who are, Who was it written for? And so we'll do that this morning. So this book is written by a guy called Paul, um, formerly known as Saul, or the artist formerly known as Saul, as I like to call him. Um, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Most of the letters in the New Testament were from his journeys and him writing to churches that he'd helped establish, encouraging them and challenging them. Uh, and so this is written to a wee group of believers in a place called Thessaloniki. Now, I just wanted to make sure, because often at the start of these um, talks, we have place names and everyone pronounces them differently. So I've gone onto YouTube so that we can have an official, uh, what is this thing called? And so this is how you officially pronounce it. Are you ready? We are looking at how to name. Here we go. How do you go about pronouncing it? Thessalonica. Thessalonica. That is the place name. Thessalonica. So anyone who says it any differently, they're wrong. Um, so Paul has, well, the first time we hear about this church is in the book of Acts in chapter 17. We hear that Paul and Silas have gone to visit there. Paul starts preaching in the synagogue and he starts telling people about all the things that Jesus has done. He starts to explain the truth of the gospel and then we hear how people come to give their lives to Jesus based on Paul's preaching. We hear in verse 4 of Acts chapter 17, it says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So we start to get this picture of who were the people who make up this wee fledgling church that we're getting this letter sent to. Who were they? And it's a mix of Jews, uh, of Gentiles, people who didn't know Jesus at all. And then really interestingly, he names these prominent women. Now, the word that he used for prominence here um, is the word protos, which translates to leader or someone in leadership. And so these are people who are significant people. And particularly, he, he highlights the women who are in particular leadership in that city. These are the people who have come to faith at the start of this church journey. Um, and so not long after the church begins, uh, some people believe like three or four weeks later, Paul and Silas are driven out of Thessaloniki because there's a group of jealous Jewish people who are saying, hey, this isn't the, the scriptures that we've grown up with. We don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so they chase them out of town. And so suddenly this church of believers who've had like a few weeks, maybe max a couple of months um, input from Paul are suddenly left to fend for themselves. And so this letter is Paul writing back to them um, and just uh, basically checking in with them and being like, how are you guys doing? He also sends Timothy to, to have a wee check in with them, but we'll pick up on that a wee bit later. 
And so today we are going to kick off at the very start of this letter to the church uh, in Thessalonica, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. But let me just pray before we crack open the scripture. Jesus, we thank you that you are assured in the future that we have. We thank you that in you we have hope and faith for what is to come. We know that in you our eternal destinies are secured. And so we just pray, Lord, would you help us just to have that lens on as we read your scripture this morning, a lens that looks to the future and helps us to uh, approach the day-to-day in a way of knowing our eternities are secured. Amen. So Paul says this, verse 1 to 3, Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always give thank, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine for a second you were invited round to someone's house for dinner and they phoned you the week before. They said, would you come and share some pizza with us? And I don't know about you, but pizza is one of my all-time favourite meals. So I was like, yes, I'd be there. And imagine you get there on the day and you've been dreaming about this pizza all day. You're looking forward to that moment. It comes out of the oven, steam rising off it, melted cheese everywhere. You know, you're excited about it. And then imagine for a second if the person had invited you around for pizza, put down a dough base with no sauce and no cheese and a few tomatoes sprinkled on it. How would you feel? I think for me, I would feel angry and I would feel betrayed, but I would feel like I was missing out somehow, that there was a key thing missing. And I think in this passage here, Paul gives these three key ingredients to A, what makes a successful church, and B, how are we growing in our faith successfully as well? What are the ingredients that we need to see growing in our lives in order for us to be the most effective believers and followers of Jesus that we can? And he gives these three key ingredients, faith, hope, and love. And these three words he says throughout all of his letters, they're everywhere in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13, he talks about how the greatest of those is love, and he talks about faith, hope, and love. There's a whole bunch of times where he uses these three words, and it just is really obvious that these are key ingredients. And so we just want to pick apart today, like, what are these individual ingredients? How can we grow in them? And what is the impact and the output of when we are walking in faith and hope and in love? And so the first thing he says is that he thanks God for their work, their works produced by faith. We hear later on in the letter that Paul's basis for this thankfulness is that he sent Timothy to check in on them. And Timothy sends this report back to him. And Timothy spent some time with them. And when Paul was in Athens, and his report is that their faith and their love are inspiring the good news and that they're standing firm in the Lord. This wee church that was kind of hobbled and cobbled together really quickly and then left to fend for itself is growing in faith and love. How incredible is that? They've caught it. They've caught something immediately. The word for faith here, the the Greek word that it translates from is pistis, which it, it stands for like belief or trust with an implication that actions based on that trust will follow. An implication that actions based on that trust will follow. It's an active thing. It's not, a, it's not just a thought. It's a thought with actions. And their faith is producing works. We aren't told specifically what these works are, but we know that it's faith that's inspiring them to do it. Why? Why are they feeling full with faith 
in what is a hostile environment. Some other people have been driven out of town for this very same faith. Why is their faith growing in this moment? Well, I think you have to think about what Paul brought to them. You know, Paul comes to share in the synagogue with them initially as this church launches. And he would have told the whole story of the gospel. He would have spoke of Jesus born uh, a very human baby to fulfill prophecy. He would have talked about how this baby became a man who walked around the whole of the region praying for people and seeing people healed, miraculously multiplying bread and wine and loaves and fishes. And, and there was catches of fishes that miraculously multiplied. There was times where he taught with such wisdom that people were just on the spot brought to the Father. He would have spoke about how he willingly went to the cross and died again to fulfill prophecy. And what that did in that moment was completely conquer death. Then he would have shared how Jesus three days later rose from the grave to fulfill yet more prophecy that he is the Messiah and how in that moment death and all of its sting was conquered and how it brought freedom for us to walk to the Father and how it brought access for us to the Holy Spirit. He then would have talked about how the Holy Spirit came personally to each and every believer on the day of Pentecost as Jesus goes back to the Father. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in us. And then he might have shared some of his story, his testimony of being convicted on the road to Damascus, of encountering the very presence of Jesus. And so this is the stories that they are hearing as their little church starts. They're hearing stories that are filled with faith. They're hearing the story of a Messiah who loves them. They're hearing the story uh, of a faith-filled adventure that is waiting and ready for them and it turns out Paul's faith that he's communicating to them is really infectious we're told in Acts 17 that a significant number of people hear the good news and give their lives to following Jesus our kids have both recently had chickenpox, and chickenpox is one of those uh, weird diseases that you can track the the progress of at any given moment. You know, it starts where you know maybe one of our kids come in, they were like, "Oh, I've I've got a wee itchy red spot here," and you're like, "Oh, you're right, you do have an itchy red spot here." Maybe you've walked into some nettles or something like that. You know, the kind of things that kids do. And then a few minutes, maybe later, or maybe an hour later, they're like, "I'm feeling a bit itchy here," and suddenly there's a few red spots here and a few red spots there, and within a matter of 12 hours there's just spots everywhere like you can see it just popping up everywhere there's just hardly any part of them that's not covered in spots and I think Paul's faith here like is that kind of infectious as he shares suddenly people are just popping up and there's little faith fires being set on fire all around the city of Thessalonica as people hear what he has to say it's like fires just going on and on and on and as they share with people there's more fires being lit like faith is growing in that city. And so Paul's commending them on their works produced by faith. So the faith is something that is producing an output. Real, alive, at-work faith in their lives is causing things to change in the world round about them. You know, they don't mention specific things in this passage, but if it's anything like any of the other early churches that we hear about in the New Testament, they were probably praying for the sick and seeing them healed. They were probably praying for deliverance and seeing people delivered of demons. They were probably preaching the good news and seeing people convinced and come to faith. They were probably baptizing people. They were probably selling possessions and giving generously to those in need in their city. These are the kind of works that we hear about as the gospel comes alive in these early churches works produced by faith and I guess if there's such a thing as works produced by faith is there also 
works that are produced by other things, things that we should try and avoid our works being produced by. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy for our work to come from a place of anger or of grumbling. Sometimes our work can come from a place of pride, of just wanting to be recognised and noticed and seen and rewarded. Sometimes our work can come from a place of greed, where we just want to be um, gaining more for ourselves by the work that we do. Sometimes our works and our output can be inspired by jealousy. We're looking around and we're thinking, oh, I want to do that so that I look just as good as that person. But I think in this passage, what Paul's commending is works produced by faith. That's where the fruit is. When the things that we do, the conversations that we have, the actions that we um, that we do on a regular basis come from a place of just being like so full of faith in what Jesus has done for us. That's where the fruit is. And so I think there's a couple of brilliant questions we can ask ourselves uh, around the area of faith. The first thing is this, like, are we astounded by Jesus? Are we completely and utterly blown away by what he has done for us? If we're not in that place, can I just encourage us to come again to the, the, just come to the foot of the cross and just allow ourselves to just feel and know like the truth of the good news that Jesus died for us so that we could be free? Can we stand in front of the empty tomb and just recognize the power that comes from Jesus conquering death? Can we pray afresh for the Holy Spirit to fill us and in that moment allow his presence to just fuel the fire that is within us? If we want to see faith build, we need to just be totally astounded afresh by Jesus. You see, sometimes over the course of time through different life circumstances, our faith can become a bit dull and a bit lukewarm and a bit pedestrian. We can get into patterns of normality that don't leave space for the extraordinary. And I guess my challenge to us today is allow yourself to be blown away by Jesus once again. Secondly, from that place, am I producing good works? Is my faith in Jesus causing people's lives around me to be changed? Am I praying for people? Am I serving people? Am I making space for people? These are the fruits of faith on fire in our lives. And so we just need to keep regularly asking ourselves that question, like who is being changed by encountering my faith in their life? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I think that question has to be on the table. Like, is our faith producing good work? Secondly, he talks about a labor prompted by love. The next ingredient for a great early church and for a personal faith on fire is a labor that's prompted by love. Where works is like the outcome of faith, labor is almost like the means of getting there. The word used here in the original Greek is kopos, which means to toil or to work with difficulty. It brings with it a suggestion that some of these things of the kingdom are not easily achievable. It's not just a tick and a thing off a to-do list kind of moment, but sometimes we have to get in the dirt. 
Sometimes we have to be committed for the long haul. Sometimes we have to put aside our own security, our own comfort, our own um, just like safety and be willing to just get right in amongst it with people. The word labor, we use that, don't we, in childbirth. That's not an easy process. In order to see life born, it's a difficult, painful, exhausting, sometimes scary process to be in. But the fruit is new life. And I think what Paul's saying here is like, our labor comes from a place of love, of A, knowing the love that the Father has for us, and allowing that to mold and shape our hearts in such a way that we are pouring love out in the world around us. The word that's used in this particular moment, there's quite a few different words for love that describe different things in the Bible from friendship to sexual intimacy. But the moment in this, uh, the, the word that they use here is agape. It's an act of love of God for his son and for his people. And the act of love that his people have for the Lord each other and our enemies. It's an act of love. I was listening to a brilliant podcast recently uh, where the, the people who were leading the podcast were interviewing Gary Lineker. And most of the podcast was devoted to the whole saga that he'd had recently um, with the BBC and stepping back and just the amazing turnaround that happened there and all the people who supported him as he stood against what he saw was injustice. And like he had a moment where he really stood and said, I will not do this thing because I believe that there is a, a justice issue that's at play here. And a whole bunch of people still supported him. But in amongst that podcast, Podcast, there was a few moments where they were asking him about his parents and he talked about his dad and he said this fascinating thing where he said the only time he ever heard his dad say I love you was on his deathbed as he was about to die and he talks about this moment where he comes out the room having heard his dad say I love you for the first time and he just burst into tears in the, in the lift and he was sort of embarrassingly wiping his face as the nurses were walking by and asking him if he was okay and then he just had this moment of realisation where he was like but actually I knew it I knew it when he stood in the rain and watched all my football matches when I was younger. I knew it when he worked in the freezing cold mornings on a fruit stand to provide for our family. I knew it when he said, you can do this, when everybody else was saying, you're too small, you're too weak, you'll never make it in this game. He knew that his dad loved him, even though it wasn't spoken. That's the kind of love Paul's talking about here. A love that is so obvious and active that it doesn't need to be spoken. The kind of love that is willing to go to the darkest places. The kind of love that compels us to stick in and do the hard yards in those tricky relationship moments. When it would be easier to run away, it's the kind of love that's, that makes us stand and not give in. It's the kind of love that stands in the face of injustice and inequality and says, we won't let this happen. It's a real act of love that produces labor, the tough work, the hard stuff that sees kingdom glory come. This little fledgling church that Paul is speaking to is a church born into opposition from the moment they are born, they're experiencing hardship and prejudice and people trying to close them down and shut them down. And yet, Timothy's report back is that they are growing in their faith and their love. 
That's a powerful love. And, it, and the question I have is how? Like, how is their love growing and amongst that kind of opposition? Well, I think Romans chapter 5, verse 5, has a wee bit of the key to unlocking that. It says this, uh, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by the faith into his grace into which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And this is the bit that I think is the key to it. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This isn't a love you can muster on your own. You can't just get better at love. You can't just be like, I'm, I'm just going to train really hard in love and like I'll be the best um, displayer of love in the world. This is a love that is poured into us as we invite the Holy Spirit to come, as we invite him to fill us afresh. He pours love into our hearts. And what happens in that moment is like our, our hearts that are broken and in need of mending and have been hurt and bashed and kicked around by people and this life suddenly starts to find healing and wholeness and wellness as the Holy Spirit just heals up and mends our hearts. And then it gives him an opportunity to just mold and shape our hearts into these like powerful, loving, unoffendable hearts that are willing to go to the darkest and hardest places and say, we're not going to move until the kingdom comes here. As a church family, we have amazing opportunities to bring love crashing into our cities, our towns, our villages, wherever you're watching this morning, each and every day you wake up, you have an opportunity to bring love in a real way to the people around you. You might stop and talk to somebody in the street who just looks like they need a conversation. You might be the person who opens a space in your village as an open door to those who don't have people to hang out with. You might be the person who serves food to those who are hungry. You might be the kind of person who stands against whatever injustice is happening in the place where you're watching from. Labor that comes from love is a powerful thing. And in the face of a world that is becoming increasingly selfish, selfish selfless love speaks a loud and unique language that constantly points people towards Jesus. And so we just we almost want to ask like Holy Spirit would you fill us afresh would you allow love to be poured into our hearts in a way that it prompts like labor the ability to go to the difficult places and do the difficult things to see your kingdom come so we have faith and we have love and what's the final ingredient that Paul talks about here for this church that he's commending them and has seen them grow he says an endurance inspired by hope hope is the final ingredient he speaks of a hope in Jesus that inspires endurance, or as some of the other translations would interpret it, perseverance. The gift of not giving up, the ability to stay the course right to the end, to run the race, to finish the mission and not fall short of what God's laid out for us. Endurance inspired by hope. 
the world of YouTube is a marvelous uh, and terrible place all at once. You can learn the most amazing skills and you can lose hours of your life watching something that is the most least important thing that you'll ever watch ever. Um, one of my things, I don't know if you call it like a guilty pleasure, I like to watch the YouTuber Mr. Beast and he sets these uh, amazing challenges and back in the day he would have set challenges like he would have bought an old beat up car when he was first starting his YouTube journey and he would have said something like, right, everyone put your hand on this car, whoever's the last person to take your hand off the car wins the car. But as he's gone on and become more successful and more um, famous and gathered more influence and more money, he does wild things now. Like one of the videos that he did a couple of years ago, he bought an island, an actual island. And he said to all these people, go and live on this island. And the last person to leave the island gets to keep the island. And so these people were like living in these crazy conditions, like dehydrated, trying to start fires, like trying to scavenge for food on this island so that they could be the last person surviving on the island and eventually somebody won the island he's done it with jets and airplanes and all kinds of things and people are like there for like 72 hours with their hand on an airplane like desperately trying not to fall asleep because they've got this little hope that they might be the one that wins it if I can just hang on in there I might be the one that wins this airplane or whatever it might be that's on offer at any given moment our hope in Jesus isn't a little hope. It's an absolutely guaranteed hope for anyone who follows him. It is assured, secure, steadfast. So as Paul speaks to this church born into the instant challenge and persecution, he's celebrating their endurance in the face of it all because they've grasped the reality of hope in Jesus. No earthly words or actions could bring a fear that was great enough for them to cast Jesus aside. They know that their eternal destinies are secured in Jesus. That no matter what happens to them in this moment, where they're going is with Jesus in glory. It's amazing. And the fascinating thing is that as opposition happens and as people are watching on, as there's persecution happening, they see something unbelievably attractive that they want to be a part of. So much of the story of the early church was that they experienced persecution and then it grew. That's unbelievable. I think for us, we have to think about that. Like if challenge brings a reliance on hope, is the opposite true? Does comfort bring a self-reliance? We were at the Vineyard Leaders Gathering a few weeks ago and John and Debbie Wright, who lead up the Vineyard in the UK, were telling us a story of uh, a, a man who joined their church uh, and he'd come from a country where uh, persecution for Christians is a real thing. And he'd fled that country um, for his life and had arrived in the UK. And he said to them after a few months, they said, like, how are you settling in? And he said, can I be honest with you? I think being a Christian is harder here than it was back home. The comforts and the temptation and the, the, the temptation to just give in and hand ourselves over to those temptations is so great that it's sometimes more difficult here than it was for me when I was being persecuted at home to stay true to my faith. I just thought, like, that's fascinating. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, only a real risk Test, test the reality of our belief. Only a real risk 
test the reality of our belief. I think for me, when I hear Paul celebrating the hope that produces endurance, it makes me wonder, how on earth do we make ourselves less comfortable? How can we get ourselves out of our comfort zone to the point where we are fully reliant on God? What risks do we need to take? What comforts do we need to lay down? What security do we need to give away? Someone has chosen this very moment to start drilling. You may well hear that in the background, but it's absolutely fine. <laughs> and so what do we need to give away? Like, what risks do we need to take? What do we need to do to, um, to just, like, get ourselves out of our comfort zones? Maybe for some of us, it's making an intentional choice to ask a friend, hey, can I pray for you today? Maybe for some of us, it's taking a risk, making a faith-filled decision to give a day, to grow in our leadership at Leadership College. Maybe you've been feeling that nudge and you're like, I know that I need to go on this journey, but it's just, it's a risk to drop a day at my work, to, to give up some finance, to take a step out. But you know that God is calling you to leadership and maybe that's the risk he's calling you to take. Maybe for some of us, it's stepping out from behind some of our financial security, maybe giving away some of that thing that keeps us uh, safe and secure in our heads and saying instead I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to live in a way that in court requires me to go in a faith-filled way God teaches us what it means to live by faith and so for each of us it will look different but I just wonder what might happen in our church and beyond and what ripples might wash over our towns our villages our cities if we all made space for risk for discomfort and potentially persecution that allows our reliance on hope to grow. And what happens in that moment is that endurance is growing off the back of that. Maybe if we want to finish the race really well, we have to start taking some risks right now. And so faith, hope and love are what's commended of these Christians as they grow in their faith and as their church grows. And we want to press in and ask for more of that in our lives today. So why don't we pray together? Holy Spirit, we recognize that faith, hope and love are like key ingredients in growing personally with you and in seeing our churches grow. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill us just now would you fill us with a higher measure of faith and absolute assurance in what you have done and where we are going? Would you fill us with more love, the kind of love that causes us to go to the darkest and most difficult places and bring your kingdom glory crashing in? Would you balloon up within us a fresh sense of hope, a hope because we know that our eternal futures are secured in you? And would that allow us to have an endurance that allows us to do all that you've asked us to do and not to fall off the road at any point or sell ourselves short of the full goodness that you've got for us? Come Holy Spirit, fill us just now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.